Hi, and welcome to this educational podcast in collaboration with the ESIC Next Group. My name is Gaetano Scaramuzzo and I'm an intensivist and anesthesiologist from Ferrara, Italy. And today I will co-host this episode with my colleague Mariangela Pellegrini from Uppsala, Sweden. Before we start, just a quick reminder. Remember to fill our survey on the educational podcast initiatives that you can find on all the platforms you use to listen to this episode. Thank you, Gaetano, and uh, hi, everyone. <laughs> Let's start. And, uh, well, today we will speak about acute respiratory distress syndrome. And uh, it is a great honor to host Professor Luciano Gattinoni. Professor Gattinoni doesn't need any introduction. He's uh, one of the greatest minds and uh, great, great, greatest researcher in the field of respiratory physiology applied to intensive care. Professor Gattinoni has been an inspirational figure for several generations of intensivists and is now at the University of Göttingen in Germany, leading a very active physiological research group. So very welcome, Professor Gattinoni, and we are very happy to have you. Thank you, Mariangela. Then we can start with our first question. When did your interest in respiratory physiology start? As we very briefly, I... I graduated with the thesis in internal medicine and in endocrinology, you know, but I was uh, not very enthusiastic for that because everything was too slow, too, it was too bothering for me. And uh, uh, my interest was great interest for the physiology. And at that time, uh, was born in the intensive care. The intensive care was a part of the hospital in which we were doing, or they were doing, an applied physiology. So it happens that uh, we don't have any real teacher because we were uh, just uh, young, enthusiastic uh, people that trained ourselves doing the, all the possible mistakes. But one polar star was the physiology. Within the physiology, I read a book from uh, Nun, was Applied Respiratory Physiology. For me, it was an illumination because it was uh, so clear, uh, so depth in uh, understanding, and was so clear in defining the mechanism. So my, my interest was to understand the mechanism between, between the, uh, behind the phenomenon you observe. And uh, if you know the mechanism, the, the cure is uh, an immediate consequence. If you don't know the mechanism, the cure becomes problematic. So this is how we start. So I remember when I started, I started when uh, uh, the intensive care was, uh, was born in reality. So uh, at 30, 32 years, uh, you, you, you had the risk to be an opinion leader because uh, not because you were particularly special, but because there was not nobody before us. So we have a generation uh, and I have the adventure to, to work in intensive care since the beginning up to date. Since the first definition of ARDS, things have changed uh, a lot, probably. What do you think uh, and how would you define ARDS today? We are talking today about subphenotypes, but is this something really new? Uh, in the past, we were, talk we were talking about primary and secondary ARDS, for example. That was another way okay. of phenotyping. This is a long story, and I try to be very short, because ARDS is an invention of the man. The RDS is not a disease, does not exist. It's a collection of symptoms, basically respiratory system, 
which occurs after several diseases, which present at the end the same lung picture, which is uh, basically an uh, inflammatory, non-inflammatory lung edema, with always some hemodynamic component, but basically it's an inflammatory lung edema. And the RDS was the way to try to keep the patient alive with the mechanical ventilation with the less damage possible. So uh, it's nothing else. To try to, to, to try to find markers or some magic about the RDS, which is an invention, is just impossible. So let's see how we had this evolution. We started with uh, Ashbaug and Petty, and also the, 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 their description the, at the beginning was very, very highly discussed, but they presented 11 or 12 patients, different diseases, but more or less the same picture at the end. And they say, okay, RDS is characterized by it was adult respiratory syndrome, not acute, in contraposition with the neonatal respiratory distress syndrome. They had lung weight, which is higher. They had a um, refractory hypoxemia. Refractory hypoxemia was the impossibility to reach 100% of PO2 with 100% of oxygen. That means what we call now severe RDS was in the definition, original definition of ASBAU. Then the lung is stiff. That means to put air into the lung, to put gas, you need a lot of pressure more than, uh, than normal. And at the X-rays, you have a bilateral, uh, bilateral um, opacification in the two lungs. Okay, this was the original definition. And then we start, uh, I had the occasion to participate to all the meetings with a new definition of LDS. And uh, this new definition was done for one simple reason, to try to facilitate uh, the enrollment of patients uh, in the trials. There is any physiological or any medical reason for that. And so we start to cut uh, the lung mechanics, say, well, lung mechanics well, maybe are important, but you know. So we concentrate basically on oxygenation. Now, RDS is defined about oxygenation. And somebody also proposed not oxygenation. Do we spend too much with the blood gases? Why don't we use a saturation? With a saturation of 99, we may have a 300 of PO2. We may have 102 of PO2. So uh, there is a big confusion, but the basic uh, physiology and the basic uh, meaning of RDS to me is still in the Asbaug definition. We take the imaging. And then, of course, instead of X-rays, you may have the CT scan, you have other form of images, is uh, lung mechanics, which are fundamental, hypoxemia, which is, uh, is uh, less problematic. What really defines the severity of the S, in my opinion, is the structural problem that you may have with time, which are reflected not by the oxygenation, in part by the mechanism, but basically by CO2. When the CO2 starts to rise, maybe one millimeter, two millimeters, three millimeters, mean the lung structures is going to change. So personally, uh, to me, the RDS is a word of communication. And I take a phone, when I have a patient with RDS, imagine immediately a patient lying in the bed with the respirator, with a wide lung, at the X-rays, hypoxemia, and with maybe some problem with CO2. That's it, nothing else. And our duty 
is to keep this patient alive with mechanical ventilation. We don't cure anybody with mechanical ventilation. We buy time until we try to solve uh, the basic disease. I, I, well, I have one question, and probably we can come back to the CO2 aspect later on. Um, but what we have seen recently a lot of publication. There is this ACSM guidelines about RDS, a new definition, and so on. We have an, we have also defined subphenotyping of RDS. Now, uh, what do you? What's your? What's your? Uh, thinking about I think that if you apply the statistics that we are used to define the superphenotyzone, you always obtain one blue line going up and one red line going down. I think it would be far more simple to go back to the original disease because I resisted to use the term RDS for about 10 years. I was speaking about uh, acute respiratory insufficiency because of pneumonia or because of pulmonary embolism. So define the disease. This is the real point. Then you may play with the phenotype, depends what you put on the x-axis. But I think we have a lot of epidemiological paper where are just useless and increase the confusion. And then we have the, the evidence. Look at the recent ASIM guideline. Perfect. You grow up you now with, uh, example, the terror of... Uh, Higher tidal volume, great, 12 versus 6, ARMA study. Now, you put together all the study done, and uh, you find that there is no evidence with the meta-analysis and so on that tidal volume makes difference. And the recommendation of the ASIGM are, please use lower tidal volume, which are opinions. So it is a balance between opinion and facts and what we call evidence. We have very few things which are evidence. So the experience, opinion, and all the evidence doesn't take into account anything which comes from the lab or from the physiology, which is absolutely crazy. And remember that evidence-based medicine was invented in UK at the time of the Thatcher to decrease the expenses of the health service. This was the origin of the evidence-based medicine which uh, reach, I think, is is, uh, is top. But now the people, the pendulum is moving. And the pendulum is going a little bit more towards some lower patient, less number of patients with uh, understanding the mechanism. When the people say, I put prone one, one million of patients, 80% response, and 20% no, who cares? My problem is to understand that before, which are the patients that will respond and why and which the patient will not and why. At that point, I do medicine at no low-grade epidemiology. Well, I think uh, um, uh, to connect to this issue, um, we may discuss a little bit how research has changed during the years because... Uh, yes. Uh, you did very uh, important physiological studies, uh, while now the trend is to do big studies, big randomized control studies, in which physiology has a very uh, small part in them. So, no, it doesn't have any part. Any part, probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's very simple. Well, I think the pendulum will go back, because in the 70s, you know, our polar star was physiology. And uh, the intensive part was a lab of applied physiology. 
So we were measuring everything. Now you use some uh, simplified protocol. Uh, the protocol are perfect if you know the truth. Are the best way to reach your goal uh, if you know the truth. If you don't know the truth, you apply the only protocol. You will never make any advance. You have to understand the mechanisms and not to try to prove something which is impossible to prove. How can you prove the difference in something which has been invented by man? The in this RDS, which is sort of bouillabaisse of everything. How can I put together, the people put together in RDS, the COVID? Forgetting little things. As an example, the COVID at the beginning, the lungs are perfectly elastic. The lungs are full of gas. And the PO2 is very low. And why? Tell me one paper. I know maybe one or two. They discuss this mechanism. Now everybody put together and say, okay, we use the PIP table. Great. You PIP table in this patient, you get out with 25 of PIP. In 24 hours, you have a kidney failure and the patient that. This was ignoring the basic of physiology. Else, who, who put an Svangan, and, and all Svangans have been, uh, have been prohibited at the moment, but who used the esophageal balloon to discriminate uh, and to understand how much is due to the lung, how much is due to the... Nobody does. Because, tell me the evidence. We don't have any evidence at the moment in the big studies. But if I have a patient in which I measure that the big problem is the chest wall instead of the lung, my treatment must be different. And I cannot have 3,000 patients with this particular disease. It's a completely different view. And COVID, to me, has been a perfect example of how terrible may be the, the, the consequences of uh, just believing in the randomized study. Tell me one advance really done by the randomized study, which was not new before, the physiological studies since years, including the tidal volume. Tidal volume doesn't mean anything, tidal volume per kilo. We call strain, means the distension of the lung compared to the resting dimension of the lung. This is the key point. Tidal volume per kilo is surrogate. Four of tidal volume may be a disaster because we have hypoventilation. Hyperventilation means the absorption of telectasis. The absorption of telectasis means decrease gas volume. Decrease gas volume means further hypoxemia and decrease in air compliance and increase in elastance. And so, and so, and so. You have to measure and to know physiology. To study. That's it. We really agree, Professor Gattinoni. And what do you think? How, how can we integrate those uh, physiological measurements and how can we change? Well, is, uh, do we suggest okay. guidelines as to cha okay. well, change the approach or to Perfect. To okay. decide evidences? Okay, you, you may approach. I mean, the money comes from the big studies, and the big studies are the only one published in big journals. Okay because it's very rare at the moment, with some exception, that the physiology takes place. But what I would suggest, what we try to do, to get maybe money for a big study, 
and to organize a subgroup, maybe one, two units, that look at particular problem. As an example, if I organize a big study on, uh, on, on ECMO, no? so I have ECMO uh, treated with some uh, uh, respiratory treatment A or respiratory treatment B, no? I can organize within this scenario some subgroup, maybe one intensive care or two intensive care, dedicated to measure the partitioning of the lung mechanics or some particular problem with physiological consequence. Is the only way I think at the moment, although the physiological study do not cost much. If you do the right job in intensive care, if you just take note, this is a physiological study. Every patient is a physiological study. But for research, what you need is time and free thinking. If you work in a behavior in which to visit one patient, nobody touches the patient, everybody's around the computer, no? and the patient is maybe in a corner, no? nobody look, touch. I mean, how can you do medicine that way, an applied protocol? At the end, everybody died, including the doctors, okay? But it's a question how and how long you may survive in a good health. That's true. And uh, sometimes we get a bit far from the patient. It's true. And uh, maybe this is also for um, technology. You have been one of the first users of CT scan to uh, in yes. physiology uh, and imaging together. And we have seen... Uh, technology and imaging going really far today. What's your, your opinion on uh, technology today in ICU and imaging today? We have a lot of uh, new tools uh, that we can use. Okay, I, I think these are most welcome. Uh, I don't have any uh, any problem for that, but uh, you have to look at the, at the end and then the story. I think what is important is to have a, a comprehensive view because uh, the imaging tells you something no? about uh, the basic anatomy and so on. Uh, but you have also some dynamic parameters. Uh, you have to study the disequilibrium situation because you have never an equilibrium. We try to reach an equilibrium. So it's a quite complex, but uh, what, uh, what I'm afraid of looking at overall to the new generation uh, is that a comprehensive physiological view of the, the, the situation uh, is to be lacking. If you ask, or if I ask you, how do diagnose uh, ventilator-induced language? Tell me. Because one group, because the lesions are the same of the basic disease, of the basic RDS, inflammation. How do you judge this is really? Try to say to that. And this is a fundamental question in uh, when we speak about the respiratory treatment of the patient. We have to provide the mechanical ventilation with the lowest amount of VILI possible. You cannot find with the markers, with inflammatory markers. We cannot cure one receptor and cure another. I mean, we try for, for, for the years this kind of thing without any success. And if you look at, at the end of the story, the, 
mortality rate at the times of Asbauga, well, at the time of Zepo, the first time mortality was about 90%. Now we are around 40%. We have, we learned some, but uh, not, not the tremendous. But I think even the technology must be used in conjunction uh, with a physiological background. You know, when you start with a CT scan, uh, we had one group in Europe you know, of young people at the time, and Hedesternia uh, was looking at the CT of the ponies, uh, the, the horses, uh, during an anesthesia. And uh, we had this group, we were discussing two, three years in advance compared to the publication. And I said, okay, well, why don't we, we use it to the, to the RDS to look uh, how are distributed? And believe me, the first time I did, uh, the audience didn't want to do it. So we paid the, with the black money, the respiratory technician, and we went on Friday night to, uh, with the patient, to doctors, to nurses, to take a CT scan and the technician. And uh, we found something which was exceptionally different from what we thought, because the white was down, the black was up, was not homogeneous. So the problem was to understand why this. But we don't have, we were not radiologists, we were not described. I wanted to have the, the numbers. So we went to the engineer of the hospital, I said, how worse is that machine? I said, it's density. Okay, density is must be very volume. Good. So if I measure the gas uh, with the, with the helium, uh, I can measure the AIF, the density. I can measure the, the mass of tissue, of course. And nobody had did it before. And was available. And I think this changed a lot of things. Because the real advance of using the CT skin was the Understanding the concept of the baby lung. The lung was not stiff altogether, but it was small. And this is a small lung has to support the, all the consequences of a treat the, the metabolism of the, of the big man. And there are cases in which the ventilation cannot be innocent. It's not safe. At, the, at this point, you may introduce some extracorporeal support. But it's not judged with the oxygenation that well. The baby lung is destroyed by the strain. So it's the mechanical disruption of the septum of the extracellular matrix with the consequent inflammation, further inflammation, and so on. So we are very far from uh, this kind of common understanding. Tremendously far. Still after 40 years. We, we were, well, if we try to be a little bit, well, reductive, probably, but practical, all this, how would you um, translate in, in well, advices to young in, intensivists facing for the first time in, in their night shifts, uh, uh, well, patients with RDS? I, I remember as a young trainees, I, uh, trainee, I, I read this uh, paper well it's it was a review about you one of the first <laughs> paper in the, in the field i read and many of us has done it and the title was friday night ventilation a safety <laughs> starting <laughs> toolkit <laughs> for mechanical ventilated yeah. patients and the question is how would you practically 
trade use, uh, physiology well, advice. Well, more, more, more or less the side. same. More or less the same. I would try to, as an example, the, which are the which are the, the important thing. No? Important things are, let's see, we may try with high flow. No, high flow was not present at the time, and high flow or CPAP are to me a little bit more more or less equivalent. But you may try that. Look uh, uh, the response of respiratory frequency, which is ignored, but respiratory frequency is extremely important because it increases, uh, if I have a dangerous ventilation, 10 times per minute, or 30 times per minute, the volume is different, okay? But I would, on Friday night, I would exactly do what, uh, if I remember correctly, what I wrote uh, some years ago. So I would start with people, uh, let's see, of 10, which is not too low and is not too high. Be extremely careful to increase the people above 15, May be a disaster, okay? 10 is already quite high people, but tolerable. Never touch a knob of the ventilator without having a sample of the venous saturation. Because this tells you a lot about the hemodynamic set. So you have the saturation, the pulse saturation, maybe you have the arterial, okay? But the most important to me, if you have the saturation, if you have the venous saturation, you, you may have uh, an adjustment about the respiratory uh, situation, the hemodynamic situation, and the metabolic situation, if you know exactly what SVO2 means. Because SVO2 depends on the artery, on the respiration, on the metabolism, VO2CQ, and on the transport, hemoglobin. So when SVO2 is too low, it's a disaster. If I touch in my, my ventilator, I decrease the SVO2. Even if I increase the PO2, it's not good. So you have to set uh, the most innocent ventilation we know now. Let's see, 6 milliliters per kilo. It's okay. Uh, 10, uh, I'm speaking about Friday. Uh, 10 is okay. Frequency of 15. And looks what's up. Looks at the oxygenation. And looks at the PCO2. Remember, the PCO2 is the one that gives you the more information about the lung structural lesions, far more than, <clears throat> than oxygenation. With edema, now you may have a good lung full of water, the PO2 goes down, huh? but the lung structure is conserved. You take out the water, it's okay. But when you start to, to touch the structure, this is a really with the over-distension rock which goes up, and we never go back to the original values. So I would just, I would add maybe a test in uh, in uh, high flow ventilation. Now, I, was, I was thinking a little bit extra about the CO2, Professor Gattinoni. It's, um, what, what, uh, what would you, would you then follow, how would you use uh, the trend of the changes of it in in a non-invasive ventilation, as you was were saying, or in in uh, uh, invasive ventilation instead? Would that be well the main index for us to to well, understand? Well, I think what what is important is not the observation, just the point uh, at certain point, but to look at the trend, uh, comparing what you are doing. The non-invasive ventilation, the problem is that the, 
you do not know exactly what you are doing because uh, you don't know even the tidal volume that you're putting in. Now the technology started with uh, to have some, uh, we had the respite trace, and it was the impedance changes to measure the tidal volume. Now we have a more modern apparatus to do that, but nobody <laughs> uses it. Uh, you should have in an invasive ventilation, uh, when maybe you have the pressure support you there, you should have a esophageal balloon and see what is the contribution of the patient. Because it happens to me, or even in mechanical ventilation, it happens to me to see patient with plus 15 uh, outside of Delta and minus 10 inside, then means 25, which is a disaster for the lung. PO2 change at the end of the lung story. The change of PO2 are when the, the, the cow, and I don't know how to say in US, but the cow already escaped. No? Uh, it's too late. Remember, when you start with the lesion of the lamp, the first is the imaging, the second is the mechanics, the third is the gas exchange. We resist a lot to maintain the gas exchange because of our rearrangement of perfusion and so on. At the seat, with the, with the AT, with, with the imaging, we may have information. We have now just one paper in discussion with the reviewer about the, the AT, the, the impedance. The impedance appear to, we reflect both water and both gas, appears one of the first signs, which is continuously decreasing, uh, of deterioration of the lung before the mechanics and far before the gas exchange. So in a, in a non-invasive ventilation, what you lack is monitoring. Or sometimes you have a lot of monitoring and you don't have time to look. Because this kind of patient cannot stay five minutes or ten minutes around the computer. You have to look, you have to test, you have to think, you have to know. About uh, uh, the future of ARDS in both clinical practice and research, what do you think will happen in the next 10 years? Uh, well, I don't have any any idea. I don't know what happened to me in one a quarter of hours. How can I breathe? I don't have the crystal ball. Uh, but uh, I, I think there is a I think there is a pendulum. I think the people will go back to the basic because when uh, this uh, uh, storm of the epidemiology will pass. I, I think, and, and physiology, I mean understanding the mechanism. If you understand the mechanism, we can make a, we can make a big progress. But if you don't measure everything, every, anything, if we don't measure the, the mechanism, what we can do? I give you the example of Billy. What can you do? How, how, do, you, how, how do you say this, this ventilation is dangerous? Please don't look at the oxygenation. If you put the oxygenation mild, moderate, and severe, yes, you see that the main <coughs> determinant of VLE are equally distributed in the tree. So there is no correspondence between the severity of gas exchange and the severity and the intensity of the care. Look ECMO. ECMO, everybody, since 40 years, used ECMO, the anti-criteria on oxygenation. Now, look, the oxygenation, the treated, and the control with ECMO. Take the earlier study. 
They tell me if you discover the difference. The oxygenation is perfectly equal. But if you look at the CO2 and the ventilation, you have tremendous differences. Because there, there is the danger of mechanical ventilation. Not in oxygenation. But still the people look only to the oxygenation. And the dead space, CO2, ventilatory ratio, blah, 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 are usually ignored. Let's hope to go back to physiology. Uh, that would be really nice. Yes, but, but you know, go back to physiology means uh, <coughs> to study physiology. You cannot read a paper. You have to study the paper. No, no, man. I think in 10 papers studied, you know what is more than sufficient. They have to go back to the 70s, to the relay papers, to the, the basic of the physiology, the respiratory physiology, which was developed in the 1945 during the war, just to, to, to fly 100 meters model the enemy. The respiratory physiology has a tremendous impulse. And all the basic of things are there. We really, we really, really agree about the importance of physiology, Professor Gattinoni, and we, we really like your words. We think that we are going to wrap up, well, summarize a little bit our meeting here with two important questions. I will we'll ask you for advices and take home for younger researcher. Would you, well, I, I, I've been listening at, at your um, history about the, the study on CT and the one with the Yoran and Esterna and, uh, and or the enthusiasm and, well, the fact of having the curiosity of, of looking further. Uh, I would like to ask you, would you recommend, uh, well, what's what's your advice for, for young young researcher willing to, to start or to continue the respiratory physiology studies? I, I think <clears throat> the the first uh, the first if you want to do research uh, you have the to, to be the brain uh, which is oriented which is full of curiosity and you are not satisfied for the first uh, you do like this because this is right that to have the capability to wear different brille okay Okay, glasses, and to see the reality in a different way. You have to, to, to read and to look as if you would be a baby five years old. Have the same innocent curiosity. They ask why and why. In everything you do, tomorrow you go in the care and say, okay, I'm giving two liters of saline. Why? Where the saline goes? How is eliminated? Which hour potentially to retain sodium and to eliminate sodium. You are built to retain more than to eliminate. So you ask in each question, each thing you do, try to, to ask yourself why you do it. And the second, and, and this, uh, this, this gives you the, the idea. You have the, the sub, the sub, uh, sub phenotype, no? Start to ask yourself what is a phenotype, which is the difference, if there is, between phenotype and symptoms. Some clear difference. 
why the people invent some word which doesn't make uh, great sense to me, to make a confusion between symptoms and phenotype. A lot of things speak about symptoms are symptoms, are not phenotype treat, and which have the relation with the genotype. I mean, you have a, a big and huge sky with the technology help you provide you instruments to investigate that we didn't have at our time. But you know, the curiosity must be the same. Ask yourself why you are doing what you are doing, what your protocol say. You do that for. Hmm? I suggest you to read one novel was published on chest by Bartlett. It was the ghost of Franklin, the, uh, the man of Franz Sterling, huh? which appeared to a young resident who was taking care of a patient during the night. Look, and this is exactly what I suggest to a young researcher. With the phantom of God or the the Franklin Luna, I don't know about the, the, the heart. Huh? They say, why you do this fluid? Why so much? And what do you expect? You will give water, you expect the oxygen is transported, but why? Blah, 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 blah. Just thinking. But before to do that, you have to well, read the paper, study the paper. And to study is not uh, include effort. Absolutely. Sorry, but, uh, <laughs> but do you think that this also applies to resident doctors, to young fellows? It's the same, the same curiosity. That Overall you... to the resident. Overall to the resident. Because you can, uh, when you get older, very often, probably including me, you marry with some idea, you never divorce. When you are younger, no, you are more elastic. Maybe you are more Taliban sometimes, but you are more elastic in uh, in trying to see the different possibilities. And is the resident the, 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 the real period of, of formation when you have to, to try to find the time to study? I have very few books in my life. No? None applied physiology. Another one was a style, uh, <clears throat> was Bible. The pathway of oxygen. Weber was an anatomist, the only one who put together function and anatomy. Great. What a series of elasticity, Weber, pathway of oxygen, and uh, electrolytes uh, and acid base equilibrium by Rosa and the last one by Stewart. I think this was my basic formation. And there's uh, are all these books are one author. Are not the big bouillabaisse of 200 authors which are past and copy, past and copy. Is the thinking of three individuals. That's my suggestion. Thank you. Mariangela, do you have other questions for Professor Gattinoni? No, many questions, but <laughs> I think that we are going <laughs> to stop for today. Yes. It has been an incredible pleasure, pleasure and honor to, to meet you and, and discuss with you, Professor Gattinoni. Okay, okay was a, want to add more. Yeah. Was a pleasure for me. Have a good time.